The Bottomless Pit by Bill True Episode 4, Raylene July 10th, 1977 Dear Journal Ugh! Sorry to leave you hanging out like that. I felt a little bad because I went back and read the end of my last entry and realized that if you just read it and didn't know why I stopped where I did, you'd think I was doing that thing I promised I wouldn't do in the beginning when I just started this journal. You know, pumping things up and making them all dramatic. I just want to keep to what really happens because it's too important because this isn't make-believe. This is a real live adventure we could be talking about here. I almost went back and erased it and wrote something else, but I didn't, because doing that would kind of feel like a lie too. I don't know. Anyways, I promise that's not what it was. It was super late, that's all. There was a lot to get out, and it was already past midnight. Mom and Dad got back from wherever they were about an hour or so before. I could hear Mom was helping Dad down the hallway, and then he was pretty noisy as he got ready for bed. One of those nights. In five minutes, he was sawing logs. So loud. I guess it was keeping Mom awake, too, because she opened my door and scared the daylights out of me because I was really into my writing. She asked what I was doing. I could tell it was one of those times when she was just trying to, I don't know, be a mom a little... It was a while since she's felt good enough to do that, and at first, I didn't know what to do. She just stood there, not saying anything else, like she was looking for me to say something, something that would make her feel better, I think. I mean, I want her to feel good, like she was being a good mom, even though she hasn't been with it for a long time. Man, even before Dad got hurt, since Annie left, really. But even that's not really true. I mean, yeah, Mom and Annie didn't really get along really well in Annie's last year of high school, and she kind of quit school and moved to the cities after a big fight with Mom and Dad, and we haven't seen her much since. Last time she was here was to drive up in her VW Bug to grab Scott, so he could move in with her after he quit high school, too. That time was so bad, I just ran into the woods and then headed over to Paul's house. I think it's One of two times I actually slept over at his house. I didn't even bother to call home. No one noticed anyway. I got home after lunch the next day and Dad was gone. Mom was on the couch napping and I just headed to my room. Neither of them ever said anything about me being gone for over a day. Anyways, none of my brothers and sisters actually graduated from high school. Except for Brian. But nobody talks about Brian. Because he didn't come home after the war. That's the way everyone likes to say it. Like he went on vacation somewhere and just decided to stay there. There's a picture of him on the wall in the hallway, and that's about it. He's in his uniform. That's really when Mom started not feeling so hot. And that's when Annie started acting up too. I was still a pretty little kid, but I tried not to think about it all too, I guess. I mean, Brian was already pretty much growing up by the time I came along, and I hardly remember anything about him. But after he died, the other kids stopped coming around home for some reason, except for Thanksgiving or Christmas once in a while. And then after the business with Annie and later Scott, everyone stopped coming ever. At all. 
I was kind of relieved at first because, like I said earlier, Scott was a real creep to me most of the time. He was always mad about something and took it out on me. I don't know why, but it was nice because I wasn't getting made fun of or beat up on anymore. But then it just got quiet. Anyway, I felt sort of bad because I kind of brushed mom off. But I had a lot more to finish, you know? And I didn't want to forget it all. It's really important, but... Her feelings got hurt, so... Go to bed, mom says. I just want to finish, I try to say back, but mom's not going to hear any of it. Your father is trying to sleep. I'm not making any noise. I know that came out bad, like I was sassing her. And I'm sure it came out that way because now mom's mad and saying, Don't you sass me! I'm not sassing! Mom doesn't have a lot of energy, so the anger burns out pretty quickly. She's back to her regular old tired self. She's turning to go and just says, Your dad doesn't need you to upset him. And I don't need it either. We've been through enough. Then she leaves and closes the door behind her. I could have kept writing, but by then I'd lost the steam. And now I was suddenly feeling tired too. As I'm laying there in the dark again though, I'm thinking to myself, Is it any wonder why I want to leave? I mean, forget even that it's the adventure of a lifetime or anything. I start to understand why maybe Annie and Scott and the others had to go. Why they might have gotten mad at Mom and Dad. And then I get a little mad myself. Weirdly, not at Mom and Dad, though. At Annie and Scott and the others for not taking me with them. For leaving me here when everything, every day with Mom and Dad feels like a funeral. And then I think about my hole, and I feel better. I think about what we talked about doing, and I smile. Because I don't need Annie and Scott or anybody else. I'm getting out of here. All on my own. Okay. So, where did I leave off then? Right. Raylene. I guess I should clue you in a little bit about Raylene. Actually, she's okay. I wouldn't call her a really close friend or anything, but we all know her and a guy can have fun with her at recess in school because... She likes to hang out and do cool things, too. Like last spring, when we had to dissect live frogs in science. Most of the other kids were grossed out, and some wouldn't even do it. Raleene was my partner. I'm a farm kid, so I was kind of whatever. But she didn't miss a beat, either. That's when I knew she was cool. Also, she's not into dressing up and putting makeup on. Not that there's anything wrong with stuff like that. I mean, I like to look at pretty girls as much as the next guy. But I guess my point is that Raylene is different. You know, she's even kind of pretty herself. Even though her hair is cut shorter and she kind of tends to dress in more jeans and sneakers and t-shirts and stuff. But the best part about her is this. You can talk to her. You can mess around with her and she gives it right back to you. And I know for a fact she likes Star Wars as much as us guys do. She's kind of cool that way, too. And in a way, that makes her kind of, I don't know, even more pretty. Now I'm talking like a dork. The other thing you need to know about Raylene is her dad died last year in a car accident. And different than me and Brian, Raylene was really, really close to her dad. I think her dad was her best friend. So losing him, that by itself is pretty bad, but it gets worse. See... I don't think her mom particularly liked being her mom in the first place, but after her dad died too, man, 
things just went to heck. I mean, things have kind of gone to heck around here in our family since Brian didn't come home from the Warrandall. But I got it peachy keen compared to Raylene, because my mom and dad just basically ignore me, and I can do whatever I want most of the time, except for the chores and dad getting a bee in his bonnet about teaching me a lesson and whatnot. With Raylene, you hear about her maybe getting smacked up, and I don't mean just spanking, I mean really bad. And you hear about how Raylene has to take care of everything around the house, not just cleaning, but shopping and her little sister too. And about how one time, Raylene had to steal some money out of her mom's purse just to go buy some food for her and her little sister. But her mom caught on and accused her of wanting to go out and buy some cigarettes and wouldn't listen to the truth and really gave Raylene what for. And good, because she wasn't in school for a few days. Anyway, Raylene used to be a lot happier. You can tell the last year's been really hard for her. She didn't smile. Well, hardly ever. And you don't want to get on her bad side, even if you're a boy, even if you're bigger than her, because she'll whip you bad. Lately, and this usually isn't like her, she seems to be going out of her way to pick fights with people. I don't know, maybe she's saving up the fight she wishes she could have with her mom and unleashing it against all the rest of the 12 and 13-year-olds of the world. So... Raylene must have been listening in on what we were talking about, must have caught the entire thing. And as I looked there at her, I thought, I should really be mad that she's eavesdropping on us and butting in our business and all. But for some reason, all that stuff melts away. First, because I see her smiling, and that was a really neat thing for a change. Next, because I saw the look in her eyes. It was the same look that Paul had, and the same look I know I must have had in my own eyes. Raylene, for whatever reason, was looking for something. And whatever it was, she was probably thinking it just might be inside that hole. Yep, she was hooked. And she hadn't even seen the thing yet. Andrew saw it too. One peek at Raylene and that's all it took. He turned around and groaned and clunked his head down on the countertop. I am not going to do this, he said to the rest of us, kind of muffled and exhausted. Any other time, I'd have been worried about what Andrew just said. But at that moment, looking around at Paul and Raylene, I knew we were going to find out what was inside of that hole. And Andrew? Well, for sure we needed him. He knows stuff that we'd need to know if we were going to survive in there. But like I said, I wasn't worried. I knew that between the three of us, we could handle Andrew. He was going. We were all going. Can you believe it? I can't believe we're actually thinking this. But then, there it is. I look at what I just wrote, and I get goosebumps all over again. We're actually going to do it. I know we are. July 14th, 1977. Dear Journal. Okay, so the first step was getting everyone over to actually take a look at the hole. It was pretty much like a James Bond movie, you know, trying to pull it off without my dad finding out we were messing around out there. But we did. Andrew and Raylene got dropped off by Andrew's parents at Paul's house kind of early in the morning. Raylene told me that went interesting because Andrew's parents had never seen Paul's place before. She said their eyes were big, like saucers, and they weren't sure they were at the right place. When Raylene said, yep, this is it, they didn't want to let Andrew out of the car. Andrew was just looking for a reason to chicken out, and he wanted to say something. 
but Raylene had her thumbnail pressed hard into the knuckles of Andrew's middle and ring fingers, and before he could open his mouth, she dug in more. You should have seen his eyes, Raylene said, and she had this look that was a little bit too much like she really enjoyed torturing Andrew. Anyway, Andrew said his lines just like he'd rehearsed with Raylene. It's okay. Paul is one of my best friends from school, and it's not as bad on the inside. We're just going to hang out for a few hours, and we'll get a ride home from Jack's parents later. He's here, too. Well, they bought it, and finally let them out. As soon as Andrew's parents were gone, Paul popped out of the bushes and, I guess, scared Andrew so much he nearly wet his pants. That's what Raylene said, at least. So then they hooked it over to my place. I wasn't even with them, and I can still hear Andrew complaining about walking all that way. They got to my place about noon. I didn't meet them at the house, though. I'd made some sandwiches and met them out on the dirt road, about half mile from our driveway. We could head into the woods from there. The day before last, Paul came over and helped me with yard work. My dad and mom went to a doctor's appointment in the cities for my dad, so we had time to get everything done and head out to the old shack ruins and grab, okay, lug, another one of those big rocks over to the hole. Now the four of us were there, and we tied ropes around Raylene and Andrew. Paul was hanging on to Andrew's, and I made sure I was holding Raylene's. I don't know why, but I got a little mad when Paul grabbed Raylene's rope first, but Paul just shrugged and let go. After threatening to dig her thumbnail into his hand again, Raylene got Andrew to climb down into what was left of the crater after my dad had got done with it, and they laid down next to the hole. And then, one more time, over the side, the rock fell into the dark. Andrew and Raylene laid stock still, with their heads cocked over the lip of the hole. They stayed there for a long time, until we were all certain there wasn't going to be the sound of an impact from below. Then, Andrew held out his hand. Flashlight. I handed Paul the rope attached to Raylene and said, Maybe a little too serious? You got her? Paul gave me one of his patented over-the-glasses looks. I almost said something snotty, but Raylene cut in. Hey, get your butt over here! So, really slow-like, I crept into the hole because when Paul and I were out there a couple of days ago we realized really quick that messing with the tree had done something to the ground around the hole. And if we weren't careful, the ground could give way and make the opening a lot wider, and we'd fall in. But I did it and handed the flashlight to Andrew. I was really nervous, so I made sure to tell Andrew, be careful, it's already fallen in twice. Andrew glared at me like I'm a total bonehead. Raylene saw him do it and smacked the back of his head. Ow! And sure enough, the flashlight slipped out of his hands and back into the hole. But Raylene was quick. Her hand was like a blur as she got a hold of the handle on the flashlight and snapping it up from the hole. Soon as she did that, though, also sure enough, the ground around the lip of the hole caved in a little more. Andrew panicked. He screamed bloody murder and tried to climb out of the crater like a crazy person. He was only making it worse, and now his foot slipped and it was right in the hole. And the dirt where Raylene was holding herself up was gone, fallen in. All Raylene could do is grab Andrew's pant leg and yell, Knock it off! And Paul and I both yelled, We got ropes around you, Andrew! We got ropes! And Paul tugged hard on Andrew's rope. Somehow, 
it got through, and he calmed down a little. Which was good, because by this time, the dirt had crumbled so much that from the waist up, the only thing underneath Raylene was darkness. And even though she was probably only, I don't know, 85 pounds or so, I wasn't sure I was strong enough to hold on to her if she fell. It was hard, but eventually, with Paul and me both pulling as hard as we could, we got them out of the crater. The first thing Andrew did after getting out of the crater, even before brushing himself off, was he grabbed the flashlight from Raylene and slammed it in my hand. Absolutely not. No, 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 no. And he stomped off. I hollered at him, Andrew! No, he said back, by this time almost disappearing into the brush. That's the wrong way to get out. So he turned around and came back. But instead of saying anything, he just stood there with his arms across his chest, steaming and still covered head to toe in dirt and leaves and muck. We headed out of the woods going west, opposite from the direction of my house, which would make a hike for me later, and also taking us across Bergman's cow pasture. We'd have to be careful because there were no trespassing signs posted all over his property. Word was that teenage kids would hang out there at night and get drunk, and... A couple of Mr. Bergman's cows were found dead one time, and he went off about these crazy high kids tipping over his cows while they were sleeping and killing them. Even though everyone knows, cows sleep really lightly when they're sleeping standing up. They get spooked easy, so they can run away in case there's some dog or wolf or something coming after them. If cows want a deep sleep, they'll go ahead and lay down, by themselves, and they can get up just fine on their own. Even a dummy knows that. Mr. Bergman didn't care, though. Come to think of it, he's kind of an actual dummy, and most of the time you're not sure if he's had one too many buckhorns, so you pretty much just steer clear of him. Anyway, so he's threatened to shoot anyone who trespassed on his property, and the signs even warned people of it. Violators will be shot on sight. You can probably guess what the probability of being shot on sight did to Andrew. And you can probably guess more what the thought of having to hitchhike back into town once we all reached the county road did to him too. By the time we got to the tar, Andrew was out, out, out. There was no way, no how he was going through with any of this. And there was nothing any of us could say that would change his mind. Nothing. And furthermore, He wasn't our friend anymore, and never wanted to see our faces again for the rest of his life. No D&D, no more anything. Done. And honest, the only thing keeping him from wailing on me, I think, was that he was afraid of what Raylene might do to him if he did. Man, I was glad she was there. It was useless to argue, so I headed toward home after getting them to the road. But Raylene jogged over to me, leaving Andrew alone there after ordering him to stick his thumb out then showing him how to stick his thumb out if he wanted to get a ride. Don't worry about Andrew, she told me. She smiles again. That kind of smile that worries you, because you suddenly worry about Andrew's well-being. Then she turns to go back to join Andrew at the roadside. A car just passed him going too fast, and he got scared and backed away from the shoulder of the road. Raylene turns and looks at me again and rolls her eyes about Andrew. You know, with her around, Andrew didn't seem so, I don't know, smart. He seemed more like a regular human being, just like the rest of us. That made me feel a little better too. And then she smiled again. But this one was different. I can't describe it. I mean, it was 
softer, more real, and almost sad. But then another car was coming, and she had to hustle over to the side of the road and get her own thumb out if they were ever going to catch the thing. But before she went, she said, thanks. And when she said it, I don't know. I was, like, grateful. And suddenly, Raylene was even more pretty than she ever was. And then we all headed our separate ways. And I couldn't see it, but I know I had a goofy grin plastered all over my face as I walked through Mr. Bergman's pasture and passed all his cows saying, Hey there, cow! Every time I passed one. And not even paying attention or caring if Mr. Bergman caught me and wanted to shoot me on sight. July 19th, 1977. List of things we'll need. Strawberry Crush. Two cases. Bugles, about five to six boxes. Clothes, bologna, five to six packages. Bread, a couple. Apples and oranges, canteen with water. July 22nd, 1977. Okay, so I showed my list of what we'll need to take with us to Raylene, and she just laughed. So I told her, what do you think we should take with us? And I was kind of joking and being a little snotty, But after I heard her out, I think she came up with a much better list. Here it is. Strawberry crush. Two cans apiece as a treat. Pita bread. It's flat. Peanut butter. Lots. Dried apples, banana chips, oranges. Camping backpacks. Sleeping bag. Kind that roll up and fit on backpacks. Canteens for water. Two each. Extra jugs for water. Rope. 50 and 100 foot lengths, 3 pair jeans apiece, 6 pair underwear, 6 pair socks, 2 pair sneakers, 3 t-shirts, 2 sweatshirts, 1 windbreaker apiece, compass, cans, 10 each, baked beans, green beans, peas, etc. Jackknives, for all, 1 Swiss army knife, if not, we'll need a can opener at least. Spoons, four. Butter knives, two. Flashlights, six. Two extras. Batteries, two dozen. Hatchet, can we get two? Whew, I don't know how we're going to get all that stuff. Raylene says she can swing her own. She's got a backpack and can find a way to get the other stuff she needs. As for the others, though, Raylene says she got Andrew to agree to go. I don't know how she did it, and I'm afraid to ask. But no way Andrew's going to fork out any money for this, even though he's got a ton. Also, no way Paul will ever be able to get enough money together to buy this stuff. So, I guess I'll have to put my money where my mouth is. I have almost $300 in a savings account in town. My grandma Boniface started it for me before she died. Anyway, so now I've got to find a way to get to that money. It's going to be hard because my mom and dad are supposed to be there when I take it out, but I've got to find a way to do it. We've got to do this. Wish me luck. You have been listening to the Bottomless Pit Podcast, created by Bill True. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, and also look for us on Facebook and Twitter. See you next time inside the Bottomless Pit.